Chapter Thirty Two of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Blakely, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter Thirty Two. While these thoughts, founded on a natural piety, pure and gentle as herself, occupied Elizabeth, Faulkner indulged in far other speculations. He triumphed. It is strange that although perpetually deceived and led astray by our imagination, we always fancy that we can foresee, and in some sort command, the consequences of our actions. Faulkner, while he deplored his beloved victim with the most heartfelt grief, yet at no time experienced a qualm of fear, because he believed that he held the means of escape in his own hands, and could always shelter himself from the obloquy that he now incurred in an unapproachable tomb. Through strange accidents that resource had failed him, he was alive, and his secret was in the hands of his enemies. But as he confronted the injured son of a more injured mother, another thought, dearer to his lawless yet heroic imagination, presented itself. There was one reparation he could make, and doubtless it would be demanded of him. The law of honor would be resorted to, to avenge the death of Alethea. He did not for a moment doubt, but that Neville would challenge him. His care must be to fall by the young man's hand. There was a sort of poetical justice in this idea, a noble and fitting ending to his disastrous story, that solaced his pride and rilled him, as it has been said, with triumph. Having arrived at this conclusion, he felt sure also that the consummation would follow immediately on Neville's perusal of the narration put into his hands. This very day might be his last, and it was necessary to make every preliminary arrangement. Leaving Elizabeth occupied with his fatal papers, he drove to town to seek Mr. Raby's solicitor to place in his hands the proofs of his adopted child's birth, so to secure her future acknowledgment by her father's family. She was not his child, no drop of his blood flowed in her veins. His name did not belong to her. As Miss Raby, Neville would gladly seek her, while as Miss Faulkner, an insuperable barrier existed between them, and though he fell by Gerard's hand, yet he meant to leave a letter to convince her that this was but a sort of cunning suicide, and that it need place no obstacle between two persons whom he believed were formed for each other. What more delightful than that his own Elizabeth should love the son of Alethea? If he survived indeed, this mutual attachment would be beset by difficulties. His death was like the leveling of a mountain. All was plain, easy, happy, when he no longer deformed the scene. He had some difficulty in meeting with Mr. Raby's man of business. He found him, however, perfectly acquainted with all the circumstances, and eager to examine the documents placed in his hands. He had already written to Treby, and received confirmation of all Faulkner's statements. This activity had been imparted by Mrs. Raby, then at Turnbridge Wells, who was anxious to render justice to the orphan, the moment she had been informed of her existence. Faulkner heard with great satisfaction of the excellent qualities of this lady, and the interest she showed in poor Edwin Raby's orphan child. The day was consumed and part of the evening in these arrangements, and a final interview with his own solicitor. His will was already made. He divided his property between Elizabeth and his cousin, the only surviving daughter of his uncle. Something of shame was in his heart when he returned and met again his adopted child, a shame ennobled by the sense that he was soon to offer up his life as atonement, while she, who had long been reflecting on all that occurred, yet felt it brought home more keenly when she again saw him, and read in his countenance the tale of remorse and grief more legibly than in the written page. 
passionately and gratefully attached, her heart warmed towards him. His very look of suffering was an urgent call upon her fidelity, and though she felt all the change that his disclosures operated, though she saw the flowery path she had been treading at once wasted and barren, all sense of personal disappointment was merged in her desire to prove her affection at that moment. Silently, but with heroic fervor, she offered herself up at the shrine of his broken fortunes. Love, friendship, good name, life itself, if need were, should be set at naught, weighed in a balance against her duty to him, they were but as a feather in the scale. They sat together as of old, their looks were affectionate, their talk cheerful. It seemed to embrace the future as well as the present, and yet to exclude every painful reflection. The heart of each bore its own secret without betrayal. Faulkner expected in a few hours to be called upon to expiate with his life the evils he had caused, while Elizabeth's thoughts wandered to Neville. Now he was reading the fatal narrative, now agonized pity for his mother, now abhorrence of Faulkner, alternated in his heart. Her image was cast out, or only called up to be associated with the hated name of the destroyer. Her sensibility was keenly excited. How ardently had she prayed! How fervently had she believed that he would succeed in establishing mother's innocence! In what high honor she had held his filial piety, these things were still the same. Yet how changed were both towards each other! It was impossible that they should ever meet again as formerly, ever take counsel together, that she should ever be made happy by the reflection that she was his friend and comforter. Faulkner called her attention by a detail of his journey to Belforest, and the probability that she would soon have a visit from her aunt. Here was a new revulsion. Elizabeth was forced to remember that her name was Raby. Faulkner described the majestic beauties of the ancestral seat of her family, tried to impress her with the imposing grandeur of its antiquity, to interest her in its religion and prejudices, to gild the reality of pride and desertion with the false colors of principle and faith. He spoke of Mrs. Raby, as he had heard her mentioned, as a woman of warm feeling, strong intellect, and extreme generosity. Elizabeth listened, but her eyes were fondly fixed on Faulkner's face and at last she exclaimed with spontaneous earnestness, "'For all this I am your child, and we shall never be divided.' It was now near midnight. At each moment Faulkner expected a message from the son of his victim. He engaged Elizabeth to retire to her room, that her suspicions might not be excited by the arrival of a visitor at that unaccustomed hour. He was glad to see her wholly unsuspicious of what he deemed the inevitable consequence of his confession, for though her thoughts evidently wandered, and traces of regret clouded her brow, it was regret, not fear, that inspired sadness. She tried to cheer, to comfort for the past, and gain fortitude to meet the future, but that future presented no more appalling image than never seeing Gerard Neville more. She went, and he remained waiting and watching the livelong night, but no one came. The following day passed, and the same mysterious silence was observed. What could it mean? It was impossible to accuse Alethea's child of lukewarmness in her cause, or want of courage. A sort of dark, mysterious fear crept over Faulkner's heart. Something would be done, some vengeance taken. In what frightful shape would the ghost of the past haunt him? He seemed to scent horror and disgrace in the very winds, yet he was spellbound. He must await Neville's call. He must remain as he had promised, to offer the atonement demanded. He had felt glad and triumphant when he believed that reparation to be his life in the field. But the delay was ominous. He knew not why. But at each ring at the gate, each step along the passages of the house, his heart grew chill, his soul quailed. He despised himself for cowardice. 
yet it was not that but he knew that evil was at hand he pitied elizabeth and he shrunk from himself as one doomed to dishonor and unspeakable misery end of chapter thirty two recording by beth blakely